0: From the Wisconsin Medical Society that looks at some of the top issues affecting patients in the practice of medicine in Wisconsin. I'm your host, Peter Welch, and with me today again is Rufus Sweeney. Hey, Rufus. Hey, Peter. Rufus is a third-year medical student here at the UW and has been working with them and with us to produce a series of podcasts about financial literacy. We're very excited to have this sponsored by Wismet Assure, the financial arm of the Wisconsin Medical Society, and you can go to wismetassure.org to learn more about how they can help you with professional liability, life, disability, and more. So today, we're on our fifth podcast. Uh, we've talked about a lot of stuff about... Uh, whether or not to buy or rent a house how to make different budgeting decisions today we're talking about loan basics and compound interest so very exciting uh financial concepts here and we're going to talk about it in the context of the split personality between compound interest. It's a powerful economic force behind uh, a lot of our decision-making. So it's sort of like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation. Talk about the dual identity of compound interest.
1: Right. So it, it is the most powerful tool that you can use in investing. Um, and if you use it to your advantage, it's really great. Um, it can It can literally multiply your investment. Over time and leave you in really good shape.
0: Two sides of what it means to have compound interest: it can work for you or it can work against you. Um, I would let's just pause and say, you know, what most physicians probably don't get a robust economic education. Mm -hmm. So let's just, in in broad strokes, what is compound interest? How is it different than sort of normal
1: interest? So so compound interest, the the normal interest that you refer to is called simple interest, which is that you multiply. Whatever amount that you have as a loan or as an investment, um, by a certain percentage, and then um, that's how much you owe or how much you make, mm-hmm. right? So let's say you have a thousand dollar investment; it earns five percent interest. Um, that means that <laughs> I should have chosen an easier number for myself. So let's see: five percent of a thousand dollars is fifty dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So you add that on top of the thousand dollar balance, so you have a thousand fifty dollars. Um, With simple interest, the next year, if you're in that same 5% interest, you're still multiplying that $1,000 by 5%. And so you have $1,050 plus that $50 that you earn turns into $1,100 at the end of year two. So with compound interest, it's a little different because instead of um, multiplying that that interest rate by the original uh, amount that you invested you're now multiplying it by the total amount. So that, that $50 that you earned initially is being reinvested. So it's $1,050 times 5%. And now I'm really, <laughs> now I'm really no. testing my math muscle. Yeah, no, so that's great. Yeah, so that, that's how co- compound interest works. And you can imagine how um, if you get into larger and larger numbers, that can either be really great or really bad. All right,
0: so how how is this going to manifest in the typical decisions that a resident or a attending physician is going to have to make? Where are they going to see this most at work in their life?
1: So they're going to see this in two different places. The first place is student loans. Student loans actually don't um, accrue interest in a compound way, meaning they, they just go up with simple interest. However, there are a few things that make student loans capitalize. And that's another concept that I want to really drill on is what is capitalization? How does it differ from compound interest? The truth is that they don't differ that much except for that compound interest happens at regular intervals, like every year or every three months or whatever that interval might be, whereas capitalization happens infrequently. And so the things that cause your student loans to capitalize are really important, actually. So let's go over the Mm -hmm. the things that make it capitalize. Um, One is when the grace period ends on your unsubsidized loans so when you as soon as you graduate from medical school you enter a grace period and you have um, six months to decide what you're going to do with your federal loans before they they um, do anything like charge any interest or make you pay them back um, you're automatically enrolled in that after you graduate and there are things you can do to get out of that grace period if you want to but you're automatically enrolled um, it also capitalizes when you uh Either go into deferment or forbearance when you voluntarily leave income-driven repayment, which we'll talk about what that means next uh, next episode. Um, when you fail to recertify annually for your income-driven repayment program, or if you are making payments with uh, on one of those income-driven repayment programs and you no longer qualify based on what's called partial financial hardship. So there's there's a few different ways that um, that you um, that your federal student loans get capitalized, and really, it's kind of unavoidable. Once you graduate, you you pretty much unless you refinance, you're gonna have your federal interest your your uh, loans capitalized.
0: So what does that look like? You know, break it down and from a sort of simple perspective, compound interest. We understand you you know you apply that interest rate that goes back to your 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 main balance, and then you use that again the next time you're calculating that that compound interest. So what does what is capitalization going to look like? Give me an example.
1: Yeah, so so when you so when you're working your way through medical school, um, you do earn interest on your student loans starting from the very beginning, um, if your if your loans are, are unsubsidized. So what that looks like is let's just say theoretically you pay you take out a hundred thousand dollars in loans your first year in medical school. Your simple interest that you're accruing is, we'll say, five percent of the hundred thousand dollars, which is. Uh, which is five thousand dollars. So you add that onto the original balance, uh, and so you have one hundred and five thousand dollars. So as I said before, with simple interest, you keep multiplying that hundred thousand dollars by the uh, interest rate,
0: mm-hmm. and that's a period over a year. So right, or right. so after a year, you'd have you know one hundred and five thousand mm-hmm. yeah. dollars.
1: And so after the next year, if you don't take take out any more loans, that um, that original principal balance of $100,000 again, gets multiplied by the 5%, not the $105,000 balance that you've newly accrued. Um, however, with capitalization, um, as I said, after you graduate from medical school, with capitalization, it um, adds on whatever has accrued on into your original balance. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically like pouring one bucket into another. So all your accrued interest that you've accrued during medical school gets emptied into that principal bucket and then you have this this larger principal balance that you then gets charged the interest rate.
0: So that's the Mr. Hyde side of it. That's where it can be working against them. That's sort of their liabil- financial liability out there that they have to be responsible for. What's the Dr. Jekyll side? What's the what's the place in which they can uh, use this to their advantage?
1: Right. So it becomes it becomes magical when <laughs> <laughs> when you start talking about investments. And so that's the other. Um, thing that most physicians will see throughout their life um, that compound interest um, has an impact on. So, with your investments, um, you'll see that compound interest has uh, a, the, the magical ability to take their uh, original investment and over time using, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the real magic variable is time with this. Mm-hmm. So, the earlier you start, the better, uh, and the more you pour in earlier on, the better. Um, as you move through time, um, your original investment grows and grows, and by compound int- compound interest becomes much much larger than than the original balance. This is
0: the difference between sort of linear growth curve and exponential, right? You know, exactly. you just sort of your your Opportunity to grow grows as it grows. <laughs> okay, so I love that. The opportunity to grow grows as it grows. Yeah, Very articulate, absolutely. Um, so, so I think that this is where you see that, that advice that you often hear of, you know, even a little bit in your retirement account early with compound interest, you, you know, creates a situation where people who start later can never catch up. You know, if you start 10 years is, you say, I'm going to start investing when I'm 40 or whatever. You're 10 years behind, but you're also 10 years down that exponential curve on the other side. Yep. So those people are, you're never going to catch up unless you start early. So what advice would you give of how to balance getting started early plus managing that
1: debt? That's the, that's the fundamental question. It becomes a game of percentages and how confident you are in those percentages. It also becomes sort of a behavioral psychology exercise. So I think we referenced this in the first podcast where mm-hmm. like, it's really psychologically motivating to, to see your loan balance dwindle and become nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's really, um, for a lot of people, it can, it can really, um, you know, it can do a lot of psych- psychological harm. Just having that, that debt weigh on them mm-hmm. for years, decades, right? And so for those people, I would say, like, yeah, pay off like pay off your loans. Have that guaranteed six point two percent. Don't worry about getting started early in investing because it's going to do you more good um, paying off those those debts, the the student loans, than it will be to um, see your compound interest uh, from investing grow over time. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, um, a lot of people will sort of split the baby on this one. Once they have enough resources to attack their loans aggressively and to invest, like as an intending physician, uh, that becomes um, a lot more feasible, right? So you can potentially do both at the same time. And that, that becomes a, a, a personal sort of financial strategic decision. Uh, but that's something that you, you want to consider your own personal priorities. And you want to work with somebody who can be your quarterback, your, your financial planner, if you're not doing this all yourself, um, that can talk you through these strategies. What are the pros and the cons of like investing versus paying off those loans?
0: What are some of the investing strategies we hear, like the snowball method or avalanche? Do you want to talk a little bit about some of these, these ways of tackling that student debt? Like, Let's say you have a couple different loans at a couple different percentage rates, at a couple different... Uh, you know loan totals. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you address a strategy? You just knock them all out, or what do you do?
1: Um, <laughs> as in all things personal finance, there's some dispute over this, <laughs> but I think um, Dave Ramsey is a pretty good model of this. He he advocates the the snowball method um, over the avalanche method, generally. So describe those those that's, two. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good point. So the the snowball method is um, paying off the. The smallest debts first no matter what the interest rate is it's not always the best uh, mathematical decision you can make but psychologically um, if you pay off the smaller debts it takes less time and so you can get a lot of momentum that way hence the snowball it's rolling down the hill it's it's getting larger and larger and you feel really confident in yourself the avalanche method is um, just like it sounds the, the larger more looming loans you try and tackle first or even better, the the loans that are higher interest. Mm -hmm. And so, mathematically, that's the best case that you can, the best case scenario that you can do. Um, The real magic happens when the the smaller loans are the same thing as the higher interest rates. (laughs) And so you can just, you you don't have to choose anything, you just go for uh, what makes sense mathematically and um, psychologically. So, what I would say is, uh, I favor the snowball method, but, that's again a very personal decision like that i was just thinking yeah. i would favor the
0: and i have favored the avalanche method yeah. it seems crazy to me right. <laughs> that somebody would do the snowball so I i'm very curious because you have a dollar and you have to spend that dollar somewhere you know you have to put it towards <laughs> let's say you're going to allocate that dollar to spend down your debt why wouldn't you just put it towards <laughs> the place where that dollar literally is going to spend farther I don't know. I get it as personal preference, yeah. but it's strange to me. How, tell me more about that psychological impact, and how, how are you framing that from what the student, resident, attending physician uh, is looking at? Like, what other factors would influence
1: that decision to do the snowball method? Um, yeah, so, so I think for me, it's not the most rational thing, but I, I don't think personal finance has ever been a purely mathematical Concept for me. Mm. That's why the whole like jobs to be done theory really blew my mind because um, we talked about in the first podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely something that they can go back and listen to Um, because there are aspects of our spending, um, no matter what you're looking at, that are that don't make rational sense. Like for in in almost no scenario does it make sense to buy a house, and yet (laughs) almost all physicians buy a house. Mm -hmm. So. I'm not looking at this from a purely rational perspective, even though, yeah, you're right, it, it would make rational sense to pay off the highest interest first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's a, it's a unidimensional way of looking at things that doesn't necessarily play out uh, that way in the real world.
0: So I think this is an interesting thread that we've seen through a number of the podcasts that this, this overlap between you know, the, the sort of bare bones, objective finance, decision making, the sort of personal preference, uh, you know, emotional side of it and then that identity as a physician and the uniqueness of the profession really have sort of equal weight on how to build a financial future that gets at all those goals you want to be financially stable you want to be happy and you want to be successful as a physician and like you said it's not just about where does my dollar spend more yeah. uh, it's, it's where does that dollar spend best to
1: balance all three of those. Yeah, things. if we were perfect uh, actors in an economy, then like me, I, exactly. Like <laughs> Peter, <laughs> he's an exemplar <laughs> of an economist, homo economist. Then <laughs> yeah. it would it would make all the sense to just do avalanche and buy a, or rent a home and you know do all those things that that make the most financial sense. But we're not we're not automatons. You know we're not making decisions in in this in the perfect world, in the perfect. Hypothetical situation, um, we can only use these principles insofar as mm-hmm. it's something that makes real sense to us. Awesome.
0: Well, we've got to wrap up this uh, this particular podcast. I think this is a really critical part of the conversation of where do you invest, how do you spend down debt, where could people potentially go to learn more about this sort
1: of this topic. So for uh, for this, I, again, I'd, I'd recommend the White Coat Investor. I think he's he does a good job of breaking down. Uh, the numbers, I think um, there's a, a blogger called The Physician Philosopher that I really like about this, too. Um, he's part of the White Coat Investor <laughs> Network, so it's kind of redundant, but he does a really nice job of thinking about the behavioral aspects of, mm-hmm. of making these sorts of decisions. Um, in addition, I would just recommend going to uh, like Anything Dave Ramsey puts out is is pretty good and pretty, pretty trustable. Um, Otherwise, um, consult the number one, like this is actually my number one thing that I would suggest is um, if you're partnered, approach them about this because it isn't so much about to making the most rational decision. Sometimes it's about compromising and finding what works for your own individual situation in your family. Awesome advice. Thanks, Rufus. Uh, If you like what you
0: heard, please visit our website at www.wismed.org and look for future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.